Welcome to the Joy of Marketing. This week we're joined by Freddie Ward. Freddie is the CEO and co-founder of We Are Wild, who makes sustainable natural deodorants. I was going to do a deodorant joke, but um, I thought better of it. Um, previously, he was Director of Marketing at HelloFresh. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for having me, Andrew. So, Freddie, maybe we could just kick off um, with launching a new brand, because obviously this is something you've done twice um, so far, once at HelloFresh and uh, once at We Are Wild. Yeah, sure. So, um, it's, it's, it's a bit different um, second time around, so uh, seven years later than when we started trying it at HelloFresh. I mean, I think in, in my HelloFresh days, Facebook was still very early on. And so a, a lot of the channels were still um, relatively relatively kind of old school. And actually, a lot of my job when I started there was, was kind of going to events across the country, uh, trying to flog this concept called recipe boxes that, that no one had ever heard of. So, so pretty manual, um, hard, hard labor round, uh, round on that. But I, I think one of the, the kind of learnings from, from that experience is that when, when you're launching a new category, people don't understand what it is you're doing. So you have to really try and find the mediums where you've got a bit of time to explain that narrative and, and kind of bring them on a bit of a journey. And, and what kind of face-to-face helped us do in, in, in that stage is really talk them through the benefits and, and kind of really explain in kind of detail. And I think one of the challenges you, you see is, as a kind of brand now launching in the digital space is you, you've got someone's attention for three seconds or five seconds and you're, you're trying to explain this. And that's um, that's that can be incredibly um, incredibly challenging. The the other thing I see, you know, a lot of founders do is they outsource marketing, you know, to an agency uh, straight off the bat, and 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 sometimes don't don't take the time to kind of learn, um, you know, who their customers are and and what kind of works. And you know, from our side, you know, to start with, what we were really focused on and wild is trying lots of different things, lots of different messages, lots of different creatives, lots of different channels, and just seeing, you know, small budgets, but just seeing what happened, what resonated, and then starting to to, to build from there. And it, and it was a bit slower to start with, but we we learned a lot. We really started to understand our customer, who they were, where they were, and that's helped us kind of build um, build wild from there. Yeah, you know, I agree very much that you can't outsource something until you've worked it out yourself. Um, and I think that particular problem with marketing is you may need to make changes that are beyond what the agency can actually change. Because, you know, as you take the product to market, it may well be the case that there's some changes to the actual product and proposition that you need to make. Um, but, you, but it's very hard to ask an outsourced agency to, to change the fundamentals of your business. Yeah, absolutely. And you can you can end up just sort of blaming the agency without, you know, reflecting on what might be wrong with your product um, and uh, or, or what might be wrong across your, your kind of funnel. And, and often, you know, you'll find it's your website that's not working and, and doesn't matter how good your Facebook ads are um, and, until you get your site working properly, you're not you're not going to drive it. So so kind of I think, you know, we, we I really try and simplify marketing down and, and, and look at it as a series of levers and, and, and kind of pull one lever, see what happens and start to understand, you know, what the key dynamics are in your business. And once you know that, then great, go and find some agencies and, and get them to, to kind of share their knowledge and, and, and turbocharge it. But I really like that kind of 
scrappy, you know, figuring stuff out and, and learning stuff about your customers, your product. And, and I think marketing is just the best way to, 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 to kind of do that. Yeah. And I guess the other thing about doing some face-to-face marketing is you get immediate feedback. Because I guess the problem with a lot of both digital and offline marketing is that you know, if people buy, that's great. But if they don't buy, you maybe don't get quite the same level of feedback from them as to why they're not interested. Yeah, it's just, it, it, it's so, um, that's so powerful early early on. And, and we actually, we really wanted to do offline events when we launched Wild, but unfortunately COVID got, got in the way um, of that. So we, we haven't been able to go out and, and meet people and chat about the product. We've had to sort of find ways in the digital arena that we, we can do that. But certainly, you know, back back at HelloFresh, we, we learned so much about talking to people and, and, and seeing trends. And, and that really helped us start to kind of uh, adapt and develop the concept and, and, and the pitch. And, 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 you know, eventually that translated into how we did digital marketing. And, and, and what helped me, you know, grow the company is that I knew who that customer was physically. So, like, you know, I'd met so many of them that I just had a really good feeling instinct for for who it was and who we were talking to. And, and I think that can be, you know, that, that then resonates across all your channels. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So if, if you can work out the pitch selling face to face, you then understand the pitch that you can use um, in, in, in your marketing as you as you scale it up. Um, so then as you as you moved away from face to face for scale, um, was it sort of more offline channels that, we, that you were using or, or online for that next stage? So one of the um, one of the things that we were most proud of at, at HelloFresh was um, was our flyering operation. Um, so you know, actually started completely by accident, where um, we had some inserts that we were doing with some partners, and um, but the partner let us down, and, and so we had I think about ten thousand inserts that were delivered to the office, and we were we we're kind of struggling to get traction and under quite a lot of pressure at, at this stage. Um, and uh, so we said, okay, well, we've got nothing much better to do with our time. Let's go and fly outside the, the tube station, which was Hoban at the time. And so we, we went down to, to Hoban and we, we handed out these flyers, a couple of thousand flyers, the whole office, you know, whole team, um, uh, kind of a couple of hours of team bonding. We thought thought nothing of it. And we came in the next day and went, hold on a minute, there's actually some redemptions on these codes. And, and we started to kind of look at the numbers and we were like, um, you know what, this this might just, just work as a channel. And if you think about the, at that time, the HelloFresh customer, it was um, affluent, busy people. And there is no more concentrated place in the UK of affluent, busy people looking for solutions than the, the London Underground. Um, and what you find is, is advertising on the London Underground is not feasible uh, or, or it, it can be, it's a vanity play if you're a, if you're a startup because it's very hard to track and, and very hard to, to, to kind of scale to begin with. Um, so we said, okay, right, let's 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 try this again and 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 see see what happens. Send out a few few people and try a few other stations. And and I think in the end became our biggest channel um, within three months. And we we handed out something like ten million inserts over a year and a half period um, across the kind of London underground network with with some of the most competitive um, CPAs uh, you'd see across any any kind of media channel. And, and we, we sort of built an offline version of uh, Facebook ads manager. So I could tell you the conversion rate and the 
uh, leaflets per hour ratio of any London Underground station uh, at any time of the day to, for the whole of um, whole, whole of whole of that network. And again, it was quite rudimentary and 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 a, and a lot of work, but it, it it was something that none of our competitors were doing or, or kind of understood. And, and and once we understood the dynamics and we understood how scalable it was, it was um, yeah really. Uh, you know, really important growth lever to to start driving that, um, driving that, and getting cut through and finding, you know, an area where other people weren't spending or competing. So you know, we we could we could do it really cost effectively, um, and and that's one of the challenges you'll find nowadays is that a lot of people can grow quite easily in the first couple of months on Facebook, and and they sort of think, well, they just put more money into Facebook, and it will. Uh, and it'll just carry on, you know, self-fulfilling prophecy. But, you know, I think what you're going to find over time is that Facebook begins to get hard at some point. And, Absolutely. you know, that, I, 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 Yeah, I've always found that. I think you Facebook gives you a great audience. You show them the ads, they buy. But then obviously, if you keep showing the, the, the same audience, the ads over and over again, um, you know, the response just begins to, to, to really drop off. Um, but yeah, just stepping back to inserts, I'm, I'm a huge fan of inserts um, and I've used them in magazines and I've used them in product dispatch. Um, but I have to admit, until this conversation, it had never even entered my mind that you might actually just hand, hand inserts out. Yeah, well, I think we used to do a lot in Amazon as well. So I think Amazon used to do, you know, offer 20 million inserts. Uh, a, a year again it was a, a wonderful channel uh back in the day and and, and we, you could do a lot of creative testing and get really good statistical numbers because you had so much m- much volume going through that and then one day they just you know wasn't making enough money for them so they just turned it off and suddenly again you have you know what you learn as you grow it, it doesn't really matter whatever channel like they all come across their problems at certain stages and um and it's not good for uh you know e- even as he uh, young man, I aged pretty quickly in that in that kind of role. As um, you know, thought I was on top of the world and 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 you know knew everything. And 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 then the next week, I'd be scrambling impossibly hard to find a new new place or new uh, or p- where we could continue to scale and in- invest our marketing spend. So, yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of product inserts, and there's the odd the old joke that the one thing with a hundred percent open rate is the box that the orders in. And I think we've had a few guests now on this show who've be, who've mourned the day that Amazon uh, stopped accepting inserts. Um, but to sort of change the subject a bit, because I think something we've, again, both have had some experience of was creating a new category versus building market share within a category. Because obviously when HelloFresh launched in the UK, it really wasn't a key. It really was something just totally new that, that people weren't familiar with at all. Isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I just remember a lot of my friends and family going, ingredients in a box with recipes, like what the hell is that? And like, that, like this is a stupid idea. Like you should never, like do not join that company. It's like, um, why would you ever buy that? Uh, and um you know and 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 so you're like well um this is going to be this is going to be kind of tricky and um you know it took 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 a bit of time to to kind of get that product market fit and, and you have to work really hard at the product and and the understanding and then you know the other thing i see from a marketing perspective is you know everyone's told like you've got to go and spend all this money on a branding agency and you've got to have brilliant brand and it's got to tell everyone about you know what 
what your um you know long-term vision is and, and what you believe in and, and 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 that is just the worst possible advice in my view when you're creating a category no one cares about the brand because they don't understand what you do so you know it doesn't matter that they know who hello fresh is because um you know it, it's no point knowing a brand if they don't understand the category so a lot of what we um started to realize in the early days there was that um, you know, we, we had to be very, very basic with our marketing and, and, and really just try and explain, you know, step one, order the box. Step two, it's delivered to your door. Step three. And, and all the marketing we had was based around explanation rather than, you know, rather than this more um, kind of lifestyle stuff of like change your life or revolutionize your cooking or um, which which you now see, you know, and, 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 and we went on that journey. Right. So, so cup, you know, four or five years in the the market became more competitive and it wasn't just about the, the initial question to consumers, which was like, why should I buy a recipe box? Um, it started to become four or five years in, you know, which recipe box should I buy? And, uh, and, and that's where you need to move more to, to that kind of brand play and that, that kind of USP and, and, and start to think a bit more long-term and, and, and you have the budgets and money to, to do that as well at that stage. Yeah. Do you know, I went through a similar thing with Diet Chef. When we launched launched Diet Chef in the UK, Delivered Diet was a concept that didn't exist. Um, So we had something like about 80% of the market. So my problem was growing the market. Um, And I think my experience actually was as a big competitor, in my case, Nestle came into the market and started spending heavily, that it was actually good for us because all of this spend increased the size of the total market so although our market share went down as a percentage our sales went up um yeah i mean do you think it's easier that first stage when you're creating a category or the stage when you're grabbing market share what what do you think is the so we've been really we've been really lucky at wild where you know again we've been the first mover for the for the last 12 months and we're the only people in the category um, you know, we're creating a category again and, you know, no one's heard of refillable deodorants. Very few people buy natural deodorants. So, um, and, and, and that's just been, you know, I really love that because, um, you can just focus on your customers and your product and, and making that better and, and learning and, and, um, and you're not constantly looking over your, um, over your kind of shoulder or, or thinking what are what is everyone else up to to next and, and that will come in our in our industry and you know as, as something starts to grow and become successful you know big guys and small guys all all want to um to come in but i i do think uh, you know it's easy to operate easier to operate in that environment where you're just really really focused on you and what you're doing and and i think um sometimes you're trying to double guess what your competitors are up to or um you know the team get distracted or they're doing this or they're working with that person or and 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 i i think in you know one of the things i've learned is you can't you can't get too worried about that and as you say if there's money going into a category generally what you find is the category is growing um and um you know if, if you really listen to your customers and you keep refining your product you'll you'll end up taking a big big part of that category and and and, and there'll be more than one winner and so um yeah that, that that that's my kind of overall perspective although i think you know a little bit of competition every now and again isn't doesn't do you any harm and does keep you on your toes so it is a, it is a balance yeah absolutely and then i guess both of these businesses i mean food and deodorants are both very much um, products that you use up fairly quickly. So I guess building that brand loyalty is going to be very important. 
Yeah, so so um, yeah, I, th- I think brand loyalty is the the kind of key to success um, in you know in, in modern day e-commerce um, because you know as you see, everyone can acquire customers through all these different channels and um, and and um, find ways to to kind of build that initial base. But how you nurture and develop that customer base and and manage that becomes really important. So for us. First of all, it starts with great customer service and, and customer service, in my view, is an extension of your marketing. And, you know, if you don't have if you, if you don't really focus on your customer service and, and make sure, you know, it's one of the hardest teams to scale as you grow really quickly. And one of the things that often gets um, kind of dropped. And I think, um, you know, you, you end up wasting you have a leaky funnel where you, you're spending all this money and acquiring all these customers and then you're just giving them a bad customer experience. So we, you know, we work really, really hard to give an exceptional customer experience and, you know, get high reply times and and really make them feel like we care, which, you know, which the team genuinely do. And then, you know, we have a VIP community on Facebook, um, you know, a couple of thousand people now. And, um, you know, that that's been great for us. We 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 connect with them on almost on a daily basis, get feedback, make them feel part of the journey. You know, and I want them almost to feel like they're an, you know, an extension of our brand and, you know, building that, you, you know, you get brand ambassadors, you get people who, who really care and, and, and you have that honesty and transparency that I think is necessary for, um, for building kind of brand loyalty with your, with your kind of core. And, and again, it's like, you know, what's, being an early stage business is is so great because early adopters are just generally wonderful people that you know that they're willing to um, let brands off with uh, with mistakes and they just want you to be successful and they're they're like backing your vision and you know generally tend to be love lovely and and as you get older and more successful and you grow faster you, you move into that mid majority or late majority and 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 the further you go that the the more demanding those customers become and the less uh, willing they are to accept the kind of startup narrative so um, you know, it, it's a pretty steep learning curve and, and kind of moving through those gears and phases require require a different approach and, and brand loyalty just gets harder um, as, as as you grow, I think. Sure. And then I guess talking about that, so as we move from that early stage to the, you know, to the, to the, to this business getting bigger, I, I guess you need to begin to think about building a growth team rather than just doing all the marketing work yourself. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think it, it it definitely helps. So I think um, at HelloFresh, I was I was number one marketing employee, um, and as I said, it was it was kind of uh, marketing was a rather grand title for for a sales guy. Um, and um, by the time I left, it was a team of of twenty five um, people um, in 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 the kind of UK side of things. Um, Wild still very very hands on and scrappy, so I'm back to back to the early stage um, and doing nowhere near as good a job as the team used to do for uh, for, for me at HelloFresh. But um, you know, I, I think um, you know again there are different stages that, that you need. So at, at our sort of stage now, when when you're still early and you're still learning stuff, you you need uh, broad broad skilled marketeers who you know uh, ideally have a bit of analytical. Uh, ability and a bit of creative ability and and then a lot of entrepreneurial spirit and they just want to test things and make stuff happen and, and and try stuff and then as you start to to, to kind of grow you know you, you start to need to bring in specialists so we we split out our team into 
you know, CRM, which which becomes, um, you know, email, DM, all through your life cycle from from first touch point through to the end and, and, and kind of owning that journey. And, and that becomes really, really, really important. Um, you know, we, we, we split out a specialist sales team um, who had, um, you know, just just really good sales focus running it like a like a sales organization and and that that really helped us grow and grow and scale and then then a performance team you know your facebook's google tiktok you know all all those kind of channels where um you know where you're thinking about user journeys and creative and 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 really they should be quite techy in my view because they you know the website and that whole journey and experience is is just is just so important and then you know the final part is is kind of that brand side um and um you know one of the hardest things i think is getting that brand and performance to work together and to become a a unified organization so you've got clear purposeful messaging but you're not sacrificing you know um valuable conversion insights and, and you're developing like a really rigorous well-tested um funnel and and and, and that's certainly you know there's always a bit of friction you always want a bit of friction yes you tell know. me about it i mean i remember the brand manager at diet chef objecting strongly to my crass advertising with high conversion rates <laughs> and I, it is that balance between the two things isn't it <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I often want my head of performance to be, you know, going going behind the brand manager's back and testing something without them seeing. And, uh, you know, they come to me and say, well, you know, the bad news is it's it's not on brand. The good news is it's doubled our conversion rate. And I go, well, let's try and talk the brand team around that we can somehow find a way to explain that this this might be the right the right strategy. So I, I think it's it's always good to have a bit of healthy tension there, but you've got to you've you got to balance that as you as you grow and and um and, and try and find the right right set. and and really you, you need people who who ideally get on with each other and i think performance need to understand brand and, and brand needs to understand that you're a commercial organization if we could all just make lovely fluffy ads that um that that said how wonderful we were then um you know that would be a much easier job but it's a it's a hard balance i'd say I mean, and I guess, I mean, would you say that brand then is the main part of that sort of marketing moat that protects you as more competitors come into the market? Um, I, I, I think it's about uh, two things. So, so I do think brand is important. And I think a lot of that comes down to clarity and simplicity. And you, you just got to be really clear who you are, what you stand for and, and, and who your customers, you know, which customers you want to go after. And, and how best to do that you know i do think sometimes it's overcomplicated a bit or you try and try and do too much and it just becomes confusing both internally and externally and and really your team need to be able to say what your brand is and what they stand for in, in a couple of couple of sentences that's that's the key and, and be able to translate that across everything they're doing and then the, the second thing for me is data i think um you know being able to really use your data and understand you know um lifetime value ratios and you know because you get some channels right where you look at the cost per acquisition you're like wow that's that's an expensive uh it's an expensive channel um and you know a lot of marketeers would say well we're not doing that again it's twice the the cac of facebook or whatever but you actually begin to look at that group mature over a period of time and you're like wow that's 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 actually 
uh, more than paying back and a, and a much better LTV CAC ratio over a six to nine month period. So I think kind of really, um, really being on top of that data and, and, and being able to see trends um, both on your site and, and across your performance channels and, and learning how to utilize that, maximize that and, uh, and drive that, I think is also a great way to, to build a moat, particularly if you're, you know, if you're creating a category, you know, you're, you've got, you've got more data and more insights and you're further ahead than anyone else. So that's, that's basically your head start. Um, and, and in order to maximize your head start, it's not about having that. It's about how you then use that a to drive your product and, and drive your bets and your product innovation and then B to drive your marketing and make sure it's really, really as efficient as it possibly can be. And you're, um, you're, you're kind of grinding it out. So that, that's, that's what we think about a lot. That's that's how we, um, you know, those two areas, you know, creating a strong, loyal brand following, and then and then really data driven team who are um, constantly optimizing and 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 looking at things we can test and challenge and, and scale. Yeah, well, that sounds absolutely brilliant, and I think absolutely that that mix of brand and data, I think, is is absolutely the the key to success. Um, so thank you very much. Um, I loved hearing about the sweet smell of success. <laughs> Please visit uh, wearewild.com to support Freddie in helping the environment with natural deodorants um, and smelling great too. If you have a Shopify store and are interested in finding out a bit more about your data and maybe doing... Um, some cohort analysis to get a view of your LTV, please do install Machine Labs from the App Store. Um, Thanks again to Freddie, and I will see you next time on The Joy of Marketing.